0: Well, hi there. Welcome along to another Big Kickoff uh, football podcast uh, where we discuss everything football and uh, there's been quite a bit happening over the weekend and look forward to what's happening in the next few days as well. Delighted to say I've been joined from the Big Kickoff by Neil and Dave, the great uh, duo, who uh, are going to pose and uh, no doubt to come up with some interesting thoughts of what we're going to be talking about um, first of all, let's quickly look back at the uh, the weekend's Premiership games, quite an eventful London derby, North London derby, which we'll come on to shortly. Um, I want to kick things off, Dave. Uh, I want to start off with Crystal Palace and West Brom. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, this was a game that all right, Crystal Palace won and West Brom it probably um, almost sealed their fate, I think, to be perfectly frank with you about trying yes. to escape from the bottom three, literally. Um it, it made headlines for what happened off the field, sort of. Well, I say off the field, <laughs> technically not with a ball, so to speak, um, as opposed to physically football action on the field. Uh, you know, Wilfred Zahar, he became the first Premier League player not to take a knee. Now, Zahar has basically said uh, he feels it's degrading and something now we just do. Now, personally, Dave, uh, I go along with those comments. What, what do you reckon on it?
1: Yeah, I'd be with you on it as well. I think if I'm not mistaken, I couldn't tell you exactly when, but I did allude to it uh, on at least one occasion a couple of weeks back, or even further back, um, where you can see in the players' faces that it's literally just it's it's just it, I it's just what they have to do now. It doesn't have any meaning for them anymore, and players don't even raise the fist anymore. But even the way Sky. Uh, uh, literally when they go to show the goals of a Sunday morning or whatever it's, they have to show it every single game they show the knee to show the knee and it's mm. kind of like we get the message we understand why it's done but let's not get people bored and want to switch off and go oh stop banging the drum." we get it and almost patronise people to an extent but him doing that is raising more awareness than the taking the knee at this stage so in fairness I think it's a good thing that he's doing it and it's keeping it still alive but it, for the right reasons by kind of doing something a little bit different at this stage, because it's getting to the point where you are kind of going, what is the point at this stage? I don't think it's really kind of having the same effect as it did. And maybe it's something that they need to be clever about and maybe do a bit like the rainbow laces for a week or two or a black history month where they kind Mm -hmm. of do it every season and just maybe raise the awareness every year. Keep it ticking along. But at this stage, it's certainly losing a a bit of its punch without shadow of a doubt
0: you've touched on two interesting points there dave admittedly about the laces etc as well and, yeah and various things like that you're right because obviously when it first came in you know to be fair everybody was on it weren't they everybody was for yeah. it but now i mean i wouldn't say everyone's forgotten about it no true but no the, you know at the end of the day it hasn't really got that impact so much now has it
1: yeah and i think that's the potential for it to be honest and i think it's something that as I said, it's it's lacking its punch in power and it's lacking its effectiveness. But at the same time, it's a bit rich for guys ourselves to say so. And it'd be interesting to see what people of my, minority might think. Now, the fact that Wilfred Zaha obviously has come to the front uh, speaks volumes, in my opinion. And obviously, a few clubs in the lower leagues have, have taken that stand from fairly early on. Um, but yeah, I think it's just one of them things that you don't want it to be took for granted or something. It's just tokenism now at this stage. That's the fear I have, and it gets to a point where. Where do you cut it off? And it's not like it's going to be gone forever. There's going to, it, This is something that will never, never disappear at this stage. And as I said, it could be something that comes in a bit like what they do in baseball in America with Jackie Robinson Day and him being the first black um, uh, baseball player and they kind of celebrate whatever. It could be, as I said, a month or a week or whatever it may be, but just something that won't go away, but just this kind of everyday thing, I, I just think it will lack the message that it needs, in my opinion, but at the same time it'd be interesting to see
0: what others think. Neil, um, you know, Wilfred Zahar's made this uh, quite open in public now, to be fair to him. Um, I mean, first of all, I think it's a brave move, uh, more than anything, but d- do you get a sense of this is something that's been perhaps not so much in Wilfred Zahar's mind, but a lot of players' mind for quite a while now?
2: Yeah, I, I'd agree with a lot of what Dave says there. I, I think the thing about the the taking the knee is it's a very powerful message or it was a very powerful message. Initially when it came out, it was unified. It was everybody, you know, it was the whole worldwide kind of audience watching what was happening. Um, And it felt great to watch and, you know, be kind of part of that and kind of support it. And I think that message becomes less powerful the more it's drawn out. Um, Like there's a lot of games on TV. So rather than being a one-off or a, you know, an event every so often it becomes trivial and it becomes kind of part of the norm. And you don't want this to be part of the norm. You want it to be stand ish and you want it to be something, you know, unique. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I would say a lot of the players are kind of after time, after time of doing this are thinking, am I achieving anything here? Are we getting a message through? So maybe it's a case that they need to find other ways of expressing rather than taking a knee, but other ways of expressing the same feelings, the same sentiment, the same message um, but in another manner that, that you know will we'll grab people's attention and, and, and make a bi- a bigger difference going forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's have, a, have a quick take on some of the matches already being played. Obviously, we've got a big game going on at the moment that uh Molly with Liverpool leading at half time, uh, which is obviously going to please you two guys, understandably. So, <laughs> uh, we'll talk more about Liverpool shortly. Um Let's uh, let's have a look. Um, Manchester City, Dave, keep marching on, don't they? It doesn't matter what side a city put out. It doesn't matter if they have one defeat. You know very well that they're going to bounce back. And against Fulham, um, pretty comfortable.
1: Yeah, pretty comfortable. Like whatever about the team and and whatever side goes out. In the manager alone, you can see he has the bit between his teeth this season. Um, Liverpool just n- merely made him angry and kind of. Gave him a little slap in the face and kind of woke him up a little bit. He definitely seems to have it. I and mean, he's he been a bit spiky and obviously alluding a little bit to Sterling being, oh, yeah, no, he was fully fit. He just wasn't in the squad and got a few tongues wagging. But the the train just goes on and on and on. Aguero comes in and he gets a goal. And it's very much spread across the whole side. But it's just been a phenomenal run of, I think, only one defeat, 21 in the league. And, uh yeah, it was very much 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 of the same. Fulham obviously given it as, as good as we can, but City are just they're just a cut above everyone, and I don't think there's much debate in that, to be honest, is there?
0: No, 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 no. I think you're right. I mean, as we go off Fulham, you know, it... <laughs> Dave, do you feel they've got enough to survive? Uh, I've been impressed
1: with what they've done in the last couple of months. I think they have got enough because at the end of the day, it's 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 goal difference. I know Brighton have a couple of games in hand. Obviously, Newcastle do as well. Uh, Scotty Parker's kind of shown a bit of a, a bit of news in the last few weeks and with some of the, with, with some of the teams he's playing. Uh, the likes of Adamola, Ola-Luckman, obviously, we kind of talked about them a little bit, but they, they're lively. They're, they seem to have the bit between their teeth. They have a bit of a belief. You can't rule them out. There's no two ways about it. Obviously, Brighton and Newcastle have the slight advantage with the extra games in hand, but absolutely, they have a shot. Without a shadow of a doubt. Neil,
0: let's, let's bring you on on Leicester. And um, uh, Sheffield United, we'll talk more about Sheffield United manager departure uh, in just a moment, but um, Leicester still still hanging on in there, excellent result. All right, I know you can turn around and say Sheffield United were struggling and obviously um, they put Paul uh, Heckenbottom uh, temporary in charge, I think, at the moment. Uh, but it was a terrific match for Ian Nacho with a hat-trick. I mean, he's a quality player and he's been exceptional, isn't he, for Leicester this season?
2: Yeah, I think we're like, you know, Leicester have been a little unlucky with a lot of key defenders being injured. Um, and then Harvey Barnes got an injury, um, which doesn't help you, but you need players to step up, and I think Ineatcho has really done that. Um, you know, you don't score a hat trick in the Premier League unless you're doing something right, and that's regardless of who it's against, if it's bottom of the team or bottom of the league or anyone else. Um, but Leicester have stuck to the same formula literally from the start to the finish. They're still a very settled side, so it doesn't really matter who uh, Brendan Rodgers brings in. They seem to play the same way, the same format. And obviously then when you have Vardy up front, you always feel like you're a threat. But you still need the other players to step up and perform. And then the did very, very well. And he's had good form over the last three or four games, not just this one. So I think they'd be pleased with that going forward. And it bodes well considering, you know, they had that kind of meltdown towards last season. And people always refer to it, so they want to kick on and secure that uh, top four finish.
0: You're listening to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast. We have got Neil, Dave, and myself, Peter Moore. Um, yeah, um, Sheffield United. Well, <laughs> there was so many rumours going around for the last couple of days, uh, uh Neil, about um, you know Chris Wilder. He's gone. He's definitely going. I mean, it took time to officially announce the actual sacking, which I suppose. Probably was eventually going to happen as such. But um, first question to you, do you feel it's the right decision? And second question, have Sheffield United done this too late?
2: Yeah, uh, is it the right decision? I guess it depends on what way the club wants to go from here on in. I think it's a very strange decision to do when literally, you know, the game is up. Like, you know, a lot of teams pulled a a punch before Christmas if they were going to sack a manager to give him at least half a season to kind of turn things around, Uh, whereas he was left there to run it the way he was. Now, I always thought that they had a good fighting spirit. I don't think there was many games where you kind of looked at 90 minutes and thought they were absolutely smashed in that game. A lot of their games were kind of 1-0, or at least by the odd goal. Um, But depending on, like, why you would do it now, in my opinion, the only reason why you would give a change with say eight or nine games ago would be if you had identified a person to come in and you genuinely wanted to give them these few games to experiment, to figure out what he wants to do with the team um, and kind of make a little bit of a a, well, a belated running start, but to give them something ahead of even preseason to set them up for next year. Uh, do I agree? And, what I, you know, I mean, well, will you agree or not? I mean, the owners do what they want to do. But it's strange that they've left it so late in the day because it's zero impact on their season as a whole. But maybe there's some sort of forward thinking to give somebody the chance, you know, to get some sort of rhythm going before they hit the summer.
0: Dave, what's your take on the Sheffield United uh, situation at the moment?
2: Yeah, very
1: much uh, back and neil all the way. As, as, like, and not a I agree. It's just a bit of a head-scratcher whine now. Um, you know, is it, is it a bit of a mutual thing? What was the official tagline? Sorry, lads, just uh, out of interest. He wasn't necessarily... It was a bit kind of a mutual consent, would I be right yeah. in saying that? Yeah, so there's been kind of tensions between himself and the owner, Prince Abdullah, for a couple of seasons over kind of basically backing him over. Uh, problems came to a head when he wanted a, a left-sided centre-back in the midfielder in the transfer window to kind of give themselves one last hurrah for the final six months. And it wasn't forthcoming. And obviously Prince Abdullah would have been at the fact that, listen, I'm after giving you the guts of about 50 millions worth on, on three strikers and Brewster, McBurney and Musay, on which none of them have given them anything. And no real output at all this season. So their working relationship definitely looks like it's soured. So why now is it a mixture of the two things where they're kind of going, Yes, let's give the guy somebody somebody new a run at what the current squad is and then we can clean it up in the summer. Um, but I would have personally kind of a bit like your Sean Borne and a bit like what you see with Farkin now at Norwich, I'd have given them another crack because I think he would have kept the best of what he needs to to get out of the Championship. At the end of the day, he's been there since they were in League One, and then maybe like, kind of, I know it sounds wrong, but stab him in the back once you get back into the Premiership, if you're not a big fan of him. But I would have gone, kept, kept with him, because I think he would have stayed in this ship, in my opinion in the Championship, and and, and been potentially that yo-yo who comes back up. So I'm a little bit, a little bit, um I just don't get the timing of it. I, I, I very much like what Neil said, I'm a bit I really don't get that, unless there's somebody lined up, but we'll, we'll know over the next four coming days.
0: I know Bowler can't, obviously, the talk back here in England is the fact that he really wanted certain players in. And, you know, basically yeah. the owners have said, as of what does happen in a lot of clubs, to be fair, guys. No, 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 no. We, we, we deal with that. We'll let you get on with actually, yeah you know, coaching, managing the side now. Is this getting more and more like what's happening just around football at the moment? Hundred percent, and I think that's where
1: the relationship between himself and the owner kind of kicked off because he very much said it vocally, and the two of them got together after a, there was a kind of a car case I think with a, with the previous owners or something like that where he very much said it that I'm I'm hands on in all aspects of management and obviously the style they they set their style out but yeah it's becoming more and more common you seen United during the week directors of footballs. And stuff like that. And every and, and technical directors now becoming more commonplace, where it's very much the manager isn't really the manager anymore. They're just a head coach. Mm. And you spend your time on the training pitch. And what we yes, obviously you'll have an input and you'll tell us the type of players, but leave it to us. Um, and and Wilder would come across as a bit not necessarily in, in a detrimental way, old school manager who wants to be involved in everything and and, and signing the signing of players and, and kind of the face-to-face. And try to bring players into the club, and obviously, Sheffield United want to stand.
0: Neil, I'm away from bring that. You as
1: in. I said, we uh, oh, had a couple of players of mine in, in, in January to push them back. Now you're grand to walk away.
0: Yeah, sorry, Dave. Sorry. Um, Neil, I'm going to bring you in on uh, United and West Ham. Um, okay, you can say, yeah, Manchester United, uh, <laughs> they needed an own goal uh, to get them over the line, but, but realistically, you'd have to say that they were the better side against West Ham. Now, two questions for you, uh, Neil. Um, are West Ham punching above their weight? I mean, they've done well so far, true. And I think David Moyes, to his credit, has, has blended together a very good side. I think the signings have, have gelled well also. But as I say, A, are they literally punching above their weight? And, and what about United? I mean, you know, people keep saying that, Uh, Solskjaer, is he doing a good job? Is he not? No, I mean, what's your take on those questions?
2: Um, Well, first and foremost for West Ham, I think West Ham are punching above their weight, but I think they're a very well set up team at the moment. Um, I think Moyes has done a really, really good job. If I was to echo what I said about Leicester earlier on, Mm. the fact that they have a very clear identity in how they play, they have a very clear identity in how they set up. Um, they're attacking, you know, they're not just all out defense. The one thing that surprised me about this game and watching it was that West Ham went there and they put Mark Noble in the midfield. Uh, they left maybe someone like Lanzini out of the team. And he almost set up in a kind of a defensive manner where I don't know whether it was a lack of confidence or whether he didn't want to get caught out too badly. But um, what ended up happening was I thought West Ham were very negative. Now, I've watched them in games. If you looked at them against Man City two weeks back, I thought they were fabulous. Um, They took the game to City. They pressed them back. They pinned them in. And they had some real, real solid chances in that game. Um, So it's a bit disappointing to see them kind of hand the initiative to United. And then on the flip side, I was watching Man United and thinking to myself how badly... They struggle against teams that do sit in, mm-hmm. but also because if you look at Fred and McTominay, and I kind of say this every week that they play two blockers, but McTominay gave the ball away on five-yard passes, on one-twos, on really, really simple, uh, you know, bog-standard things you'd expect a top midfielder to be able to do. And I think if United going forward, and this is Shar's problem now, he needs to solve whether, A, he trusts his defenders not to have two blockers in front of him, and then B, can he add a little bit more quality into his midfield instead of a McTominay and a Fred, what's your next upgrade? A guy that can play some football, um, you know, like the way City play, Rodri. Um, does he have that type of player that can do the donkey work, the hard yards, the graft, but also that little bit of extra quality because they are far, far too reliant on Bruno Fernandes to open up defenses, fences. And when he has an off game or at the minute, I actually think he looks really jaded. Mm. Uh, they really struggle to break down teams. So, is Olshar doing well. I think he is. He's in all the competitions. He's in second and the year that's in it. But he needs to win something and he needs to progress them to the next level, which is dominating more possession and, and pinning teams in with better football and not being reliant on the one player.
0: If you were a Manchester United fan, which I know you're not, sorry, I'm probably swearing here. But, um, <laughs> would you have Oli as a manager still come the summer?
2: Uh, well, you see, I have to be honest now, and again, like, people always go, oh yeah, Liverpool supporters or anyone else is saying it's great, uh, Solskjaer will sign another deal, and I, I'm kind of on that boat, and I, my, my feeling is, right, if you want to be the best club in the world, uh, or the biggest and best club in the world, you sign a manager that is going to bring you to the heights that you want to go and be, um, you know, Man City, when they had their blueprint out to become who they wanted to be, they went out for the best. And they got Pep Guardiola. And there was absolutely no doubt he's transformed that club and the ethos of the football and the way they play into an absolutely, ridiculously domineering side. Um, And that's the proof is in the pudding this year because no one expected anyone to hit 90 points and they're probably going to smash it again this year. So when I look at Man United, then I think of the players that they should be attracting. They should be going for, if you want to be that number one club, like your Bayerns and your, your cities that are so dominant domestically and then in Europe, Um, you need to attract the top players. And I don't think Man United attract the top players anymore. And maybe if they had a better high-profile coach, but one not like Marino, who had a negative outlook, one that's going to make them play attractive football, I think they need to go for a better, more clued-in, and successful coach that has a better track record than Solskjaer. Um, And that maybe will bring in one or two of the top players with him of the same profile. So in other words, you know, you want to be the best, you have to attract the best, and you have to have the best in charge of them. And that's why I think Liverpool did very well in getting Klopp. He was like, he was top tier. Uh, City obviously got Pep. Who else is out there? They need to figure out who they are, who they're going to be and who they're going to back. So for me, you know, I don't think that he can take them to that next level, but also I, I'll give him one thing. Like he's up against Pep Guardiola and an absolute ridiculous machine that he's built.
0: <laughs> very, very true Indeed. Uh, dave gonna gonna move on to something we could probably talk for about two hours on actually <laughs> <laughs> the north london derby yeah i mean they're normally fasty affairs and they normally have talking points and everything else um <clears throat> eric lamella uh, had a wonderful oh. game well virtually uh until he got sent off actually um with that terrific uh, Rabana finish uh, which was oh. it has to be said But there were so many talking points, wasn't there? You know, Harry Kane, penalty situation. Yeah. wasn't it?
1: Yeah, just a quick one on the Harry Kane one, because, like, you see that kind of tackle happening a little bit. Is he getting a bit of unfair criticism, or is it because it's not brought up enough about him being that, as in inverted commas, the way professionals say, clever? Because they kind of ignore it in the punditry side of things. Is that why us mere mortals are the clickbait websites kind of bring up that tackle yesterday. Is it, what do you feel from that, especially over your side of the pond, Peter? Is it because it's not mentioned enough by the so-called professionals or is,
0: is there a nasty streak in them? I think, I think it's a bit of both, Dave. Um, to okay. be honest, yeah. Uh, um, the main side of it, uh, more than anything, is the fact that I don't think it's brought up enough as, as you highlight. Okay. No, it isn't. I mean, other players tend to get more highlighted incidences which will keep going and keep being shown over and over again but it seems to be with Harry Kane the fact that it, it, it isn't highlighted and then all of a sudden when it does get highlighted i.e. like yesterday everyone starts jumping on the oh Harry Kane does that all the time type band, uh, bandwagon mm. um, so but having said that I do feel um, having watched quite a bit of Harry Kane for quite a few years I do feel that he, he has got a habit of doing this. Yes. Uh, okay. It's not, you know, and I, I'm not saying he's a malicious type player. No, and I don't think he's doing it intentionally. It's just the way that he, that, that he, you, you could say the way that the guy tackles, I suppose, to be honest with you. And I think that is the case really. So yeah, you know, to answer your question, I think it's a little bit of each, but certainly mm. it, it always gets glossed on more than glossed over when you get obviously, you know, like North London derbies or like I say, a situation like yesterday with so many talking points. And that tends to get the um the keyboard people saying, oh, there he goes again, you know, that's Kane yeah. every time. Which I'm not saying he does it every time, no, far from it, because like I said, I don't think he's that type of player anyhow. No. But yeah, I can see why everybody now will start highlighting it. Because look, yeah, Dave, it's Harry Kane, if it had been any other player it, I think it would just be kept quiet. But because it's Kane, and we all know in England, Harry Kane is, well, I won't say like a god, but, you know, he is, he's, he's such a, a a player in the limelight, constantly more than anything. And I think that's yeah. the reason why.
1: No, that's a true statement, because as I said, it was it was one of many things. Obviously, the game changed for Spurs when when Son was gone. So mm-hmm. the front three of Son, Bale and, and Kane didn't really get a chance to, really shine. Obviously, Lamella is just such a good goal. Reguillon's uh, reaction was pretty much like probably the majority of us at home. Just that lovely. And in fairness to him, it's not a fluke. He did it before. I think it was in a European game from the edge of the box. He stuck it up into the top corner. So it's not something that it was an instinctive reaction to do. But it, it, It certainly wasn't a fluke in relation to Lamella. You've obviously got the penalty, which I think you know, it, it, it. this is Marmite. 50%, I think, will agree. 50% will, will disagree. Mm-hmm. It's it's just... It's a strange tackle. It's a high tackle. Like It's given everywhere else in the pitch. I don't see what the problem is with it being in the penalty box. But the fact that there's three of us here, it'd be interesting to see what's a straw ball. I would say penalty. Neil, what would you think?
2: Yeah, I think you had to give it. I think, yeah. you know... If I had it gone against it, it probably would have been more talk about it than if it had gone with. So yeah, no, I I think yeah. it was there to be done, um, and yeah, I'd agree.
0: Would you agree, Pierre? Yeah, I would. Yeah, to be honest, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I I go along with Neil's point. Uh, I I think to be fair, ninety nine times out of a hundred, I think that would have been given as a penalty. Yes, you know, you might have had the occasion. No, but it, yeah, my opinion. I I think it would actually, um, Dave. <sighs> Only one place left in the race for the top four, do you reckon? Possibly. I think United and Leicester are starting to hammer
1: home. Like, if you look at Chelsea sitting in fourth at the moment, you know, Man City, or sorry, not Man City, Man United, they're six points clear of Chelsea, and Leicester are five points clear, and then behind them is West Ham. I think what was wide open a week or two ago has completely been slapped, because from Chelsea down, everyone's kind of dropped points in the last week or two, but United and Leicester... Have ironically won I think the last two weeks so that's just how quickly it turns around if I look quickly Chelsea have only got four points in the last two uh, West Ham three Liverpool zero Everton zero and Spurs three while the other two have won so that's how quickly it can turn around I genuinely believe it's going to be City United and Leicester will survive and then it's just a chase between Chelsea West Ham Liverpool Everton maybe Spurs I don't know but I it that's how quick this is turning around, and I'm going to stick my neck out. and think, Yeah, it's a race for fourth place, in my opinion.
0: Neil, um, you can't rule Liverpool out of full spot, can you? If because they are the sort of side that the last couple of weeks are beginning to slowly get back to I won't well, say winning ways, the way that they were playing obviously last season, and probably you know with games coming up that possibly are winnable, if they do start hitting a bit of a run, then. Fourth
2: place could well be theirs. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of key things to that. Like there's a big break coming up now, which it may hinder or may help. Um, you would imagine where really you hope from a Liverpool perspective that it will help uh, just to cement things, work on the defenders, the two new guys that are in there. Um, but it, it is a big, big ask. And purely because Liverpool's form over the last 10 games is absolute car crash stuff. Like it, it's it's horrendous. And, um, like, they're winning 1-0 at the minute. If they can win tonight and stay within four or five points of Chelsea, you need to put them under pressure that they feel they can be overhauled. So maybe then, yeah, you might see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. But if you're asking me, honestly, can I see Liverpool in nine games or ten games winning six, winning seven? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, to win it's incredible now. to say. Even more, that's it. But I, I, I'm almost saying, can we even win three in a row? The mind seven in a row, eight in a row. And I don't think we can. And I I think it's really just the season is dead insofar as that, you know, you need consistency. You need to be chomping at the bit. And Liverpool are still going through the motions a little bit. Um, Mm. They're getting back a better structure. You see them in the Champions League. They probably are fresher and there's that bit of bite to them. Um, But the overall package that we've seen in the last kind of three years is definitely not there. And I just can't see them kicking on. But now, as I said, look, funnier things have happened. Maybe after the break something will click and, you know, they could go on a little four or five game run, but they would need a massive, massive, almost a flawless finish to get ahead of Chelsea, in my opinion.
0: Right, guys. Yeah, we're, agreed. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk Europe now. Um Obviously, Champions League games coming up this week. I'll move on to them shortly. But, um Neil, um, I don't think... Uh, you, Oh, even a few months ago, I'd uh, honestly, if I'd be actually saying these words, uh, no Messi, no Ronaldo <laughs> in the knockout stages of the Champions League. I mean, if I'd have said that to most people, they probably would have laughed at me and told me to go lie down for about a week. Well, be honest with you. Um, and also, there's been a huge amount of criticism to both Ronaldo and Messi. Do you feel that's fair criticism?
2: Uh, nope. Now, if you're judging on one game, uh, Ronaldo deserves criticism for standing in a wall and then doing a scissors kick, (laughs) letting the ball through his legs and costing him the game. So on a one-off game, it was actually incredible to watch. Now, he got a backlash in Italy and rightly so, because number one, I don't understand what Ronaldo was doing in a wall. I don't know many centre forwards and especially of his profile that can afford to get the ball in the face at 100 miles an hour. Um, On the paycheck that he's picking up every week so that to me was weird it was on your three man wall that was even weirder and then to see him do what he did uh, yeah look he deserved a bit of criticism for that but overall I mean let's be honest you cannot criticise Ronaldo for his attitude his longevity the fact that he's still there his age and he's still producing Uh, Messi as well Messi is just a symptom of a really really poorly ran club Um, and time is caught up with them because they were once Galacticos and now they're shopping in bargain basement for players and buying and selling and having to sell to buy and it just really really poorly ran so Messi is unraveling in, that uh, aspect of it Ronaldo fair enough he's win with Juve and they should be dominating Italy um, but no I, I wouldn't really criticise them long term but um, what, they, what Ronaldo was brought to do was to help Juve win the Champions League and in whatever the two seasons the last two seasons they've come nowhere near and they don't look like a side capable uh, of taking that trophy no way
0: Dave. Uh, what's your take on it? Yeah,
1: it's... it's it, I think the guys, I'm not saying they're exactly as as, as as they've always been, but to be honest, it's the support cast or, or lack thereof for that matter. Like yeah. as much as what Neil said, without shadow of a doubt, he was brought in for European success because they didn't need him to win every skid out going and whatever else. But the problem is, they brought, I think, whatever money they had, it all went down on him. They haven't brought in anyone to give him... Th- th- yeah, there's a proper support. There's no one in there. It's all been freebies. Emery Chan obviously was brought in a season or two ago, and if Rabiot's come in from Paris Saint-Germain. Like Chiellini and your Buffons are still there. There comes a point where there's not enough there to get him going. Like There were rumours. Like, they didn't even get Mandzukic in the end, because that's who the type of player they were talking about getting at the start of the season. So you're not going to win Champions Leagues with a 36, 37-year-old Mandzukic. You will win a Ronaldo if you have other players around him. His best year's... Are around great players, they've never been one man teams and never will be. But they were around with the, the, the last two or three seasons that United. Have. Gary Neville even said that, that United side was arguably his, his favorite ever side. And obviously, the, the Real Madrid team for the first three or four seasons, they didn't do it on their own. Same, with, same with, um, with Messi. You look at who he's played it up front, you can list off seven or eight of them. You're, you know, uh, Henri, Villa, Neymar, Suarez. At this year, no disrespect to him, because I actually think fair play to you for doing the job you're doing. Martin Braithwaite is one of them from time to time. Like, I'm sorry, (laughs) you know, Martin Braithwaite or any of them that I've just listed. And then you've got Griezmann, who's just not hitting the heights at Barcelona. And then Dembele's coming in now. They don't have everyone else around them. It's impossible for them to do it on their own. But ironically, here's just a a little stat. Obviously, apart from Lewandowski, he was just uh, light years ahead of everyone with two goals this season. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is second in the, in the European Golden Boot with 23. And then Messi is joint third with Haaland, Lukaku, and Silva. So, for has-beens or for guys who are not quite still doing it, you know, it just goes to show you if you had a couple of decent guys around the support, them, they'd still be challenging for, for top European titles. But it's more what's surrounding them is what's causing the biggest problem, really. And anyone, who, there is going to be a passing in the guard. It's, it's deniable. The only thing that's going to stop them is father time. It's as simple as that. And when you've got Haaland's and Mbappe slowly but surely coming up to the front stage, obviously Lewandowski's there at the moment, but he's still, he's in the early 30 stage, so he's not going to be there for too long. But your Haaland's and Mbappe's of this world will take over. But these guys still have plenty of bite in them. It's just, obviously, both sides don't have the money to give them the proper team to surround them.
0: Got a few minutes left. We're just going to go through the Champions League fixtures that are coming up um, Neil, just start with you. Um, I, I think we can gloss over Bayern Munich and Lazio, but Bayern are 4-1 <laughs> at home, and I can't really see yeah. that to, the, uh, to that particular second leg. The interesting one is Chelsea and Atletico. Uh, Chelsea currently holding a one-goal lead, but that could go either way, couldn't it?
2: Yeah, this is a very intriguing tie, because we, we talked a little bit with Thomas Tuchel last week and the impact he's had at Chelsea. Um, I watched that match, and I have to say, Chelsea were very, very impressive in that game. And to kind of out Atletico, Atletico, they, they batted him off the park. They mm-hmm. held him out mm-hmm. three man in defense, which turned into a five. They stifled him through the game. Um, it was very impressive. And I can only really see one winner. And although people in the commentators were kind of saying, Oh, Atletico aren't themselves tonight, they just weren't allowed play. And Chelsea, literally, in every department, just outdid them, um, and I really fancy Chelsea to do a number on them again if they go out with the same attitude and the same positivity. Um, I'd fancy Chelsea to, to see this tie through, um, and I think Tuchel has come in with the bit between his teeth now, and he doesn't seem to be afraid to flex his muscle and to make changes and to he, he's really putting the you know the fear and getting good performances out of his players. So it didn't surprise it did surprise me at the time, but since then he's kind of carried on in the same manner, and uh, yeah, I, I'd expect Chelsea to see that tie through.
0: And Dave, uh, last two for you. City and under glad Black. City, obviously, one 2 nil away, 2-0 at home. You'd certainly fancy them uh, in the second leg. But Real Madrid and Atalanta, I mean, all right, Real Madrid have got that uh, away goal, but uh, there's only one goal in it, isn't
1: there? Yeah, and that's and, and 1-0. Atalanta score, it's the away goal. It makes things interesting. It's that precarious uh, scoreline for, for the home side. Do you kind of go out. It's one of them. What do you do? You're a bit in between. You don't go full-out attack. You don't want to sit back either. So it's that kind of cagey kind of uh, um, it's that kind of cagey score that you just don't know quite where to go. Obviously should go with positive first, but Real Madrid are so moody, a bit Mm -hmm. like Barcelona. You just don't know. Atalanta obviously uh, had a a little moment in the sun last year and there's no reason why they can't. Of all the teams to play and 1-0 down going into the second leg, you know, a Real Madrid is, is certainly doable, but you'd still kind of put your hat probably towards Real Madrid. But it's, as I said, it's that cagey kind of scoreline where you, you are unsure what you're going to do. And that's what make it, it's all about Madrid. If they go out with a positive ad, I'd like to see them do the job. But as I said, if a little bit on the cagey side, it, that could be the one where, of all the four fixtures that are left, that could be the one where you're going to go. If there's going to be a shot, that could be the one. Mm. And City,
0: you think they're through?
1: Yeah, I'd i i fully expect much of the same. I know City mightn't necessarily have the pedigree right at the very end of of the Champions League as of yet, but in relation to Borussia Mönchengladbach, that that should be should be a formality. But um, yeah, I can't see it going any other way. To be honest,
0: brilliant, Dave Neil. Thank you so much for your time here on the Big Kickoff Football Podcast. Uh, I've been Peter Moore. We will be back next week talking all things football once again. And thanks very much for your time, guys.